This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, and welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host Joyce Teo, and I'm ST's senior health correspondent. In this episode, we will look at the controversial drug that has been approved in the United States for Alzheimer's disease, the most common type of dementia. The name of the drug, developed by Biogen, is aducanumab. The drug has been approved even though the US FDA's independent panel of experts had voted overwhelmingly against it. They said there is weak evidence that the drug can slow cognitive decline in patients. Three FDA advisors have resigned over this decision. Many people are excited though because it has been nearly 20 years since a new drug has been approved for Alzheimer's disease. Current medication treats only the symptoms but does not slow the progression of the disease. The new drug, aducanumab, works by removing a toxic protein that accumulates in the brains of those people who have Alzheimer's disease. This protein is called amyloid. In theory, clearing the brain of amyloid plugs may slow the progression of the disease, but the clinical benefits aren't clear. The drug is currently not a registered product in Singapore. So my guest for this episode is Associate Professor Nagendran Kandia, a Senior Consultant and the Director of the Dementia Program at the National Neuroscience Institute. He also runs the Clinical Trials Research Unit there. He will discuss with me the new drug, the controversy and whether it works. Hi Prof Nagendran. Hi Joyce. Hi, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. So let's talk about the controversy surrounding the new drug for Alzheimer's disease, right? I know you're very excited about the drug, but uh, many experts are surprised it was even approved. So can you tell us more about the results of the trials and you know specifically on why the drug was declared like a failure just two years ago, but actually now approved? Yes, yeah, Joyce, that's an important question. Um, and maybe I should start by saying that in this disease-modifying drug, uh, aducanumab from Biogen AI, there were two main outcomes that we are looking for. Firstly, the drug being an anti-amyloid drug, with the use of aducanumab, is there a decline in the amount of amyloid in the brain as measured using PET scans? That was one outcome. The second outcome was what we call as the clinical dementia rating scale. That tells us about the clinical improvement that we see when this drug is administered. The results are a little controversial because when it comes to the amyloid PET, there was a clear reduction in the amount of amyloid in the brains of people who receive aducanumab. However, when you look at the clinical outcome, the clinical dementia rating scale, the results were a bit more mixed. These results were based on two different studies, the EMERGE study and the ENGAGE study, and the US FDA pull the data from these two studies to make their decision. So the controversy is mainly with, with regards to the clinical outcome. So some specialists feel, should there be another study carried out to make sure that the clinical outcomes are truly observed before approving the drug. Whereas the decision that FDA took where they approved the drug on a special access route but also at the same time requesting uh, Biogen to do further trials to confirm the clinical benefits is where the controversy lies in. I see, but there are also other therapies being studied, right? So are they also at the same stage perhaps? There are several therapies being studied, um, both 
uh, in the anti-amyloid and also the anti-tau, but none of them have reached the same level of advancement in terms of clinical trials. So they are many years behind when it comes to potential approvals. And if you look at the pathology of Alzheimer's disease, the two main pathologies that causes Alzheimer's disease, first being amyloid and further down the road being tau. So from a biological perspective, aducanumab did what it is supposed to do because it is an anti-amyloid drug and it clearly reduced amyloid in the brain. So if we already know that amyloid causes Alzheimer's disease, aducanumab can reduce amyloid. The logical reasoning would be it could also help patients with Alzheimer's disease. Right? And this is where the clinical outcome uh, needs to be further examined in parallel clinical trials. So Prof, why was it approved then if the clinical benefits aren't that convincing? Right. So you could look at it this way. The first outcome, which was amyloid outcome, was clearly seen. The clinical benefit was mixed. I would say more leaning towards actually seeing clinical benefit, but was not consistent. So the view that FDA took is that since there is amyloid decline, there is a suggestion of clinical benefit. They wanted the drug to be used to see how much of benefit is there in real life. Because one of the challenges when it comes to clinical trials with Alzheimer's disease is how do we measure the outcome. Uh, the clinical dementia rating scale, the CDR scale is a great tool. However, when it comes to trial setting, there are always difficulties in performing, in analyzing this data. So one, of, one view that FDA could have taken is, other than just the CDR, if we approve the drug and clinicians can then give feedback on the actual improvement in their patients, that would carry a lot of weight in when it comes to actual clinical outcomes. However, as I said earlier, the US FDA did specify they still want another trial to be carried out in parallel to this approval. Right, interesting. So I wanted to, you know this drug, you were saying it's a disease-modifying uh, drug, right? So current treatments only treat the symptoms. Can you tell us more about this? So we have two classes of medication. One is called the acetylcholine esterase inhibitors. And the second group is what we call as NMDA antagonists. So what happens in the brain is first amyloid pathology sets in roughly about 25 to 30 years before the first symptom of dementia, right? After some time, tau pathology starts to accumulate. Both amyloid and tau are toxic to brain cells. So they then result in death of these brain cells. Now these brain cells in a normal person produce chemicals that are important for formation of memory. So what these symptomatic drugs, the acetylcholine esterase inhibitors and NMDA aim to do is to manipulate the amount of chemicals that is required for memory formation. So you could look at them as symptom control where they improve symptoms such as memory, but the upstream problem of amyloid and tau continues to progress. So for example, if someone has already mild stage dementia, they are likely to benefit from a memory point of view with the symptomatic drugs for a certain period of time. Most of these uh, trials with symptomatic drugs 
have been in the range of six months to about a year. So you know that they can benefit for six months to a year. But what beyond that, because the amyloid and tau pathology continues to accumulate, brain cells are continuing to die off, your symptoms are also likely to continue to progress. Right, so it doesn't help you in a way with the memory problems for long. It's just a temporary solution. Yes, yes. I see. So, but with this new drug, um, you know, how long do you need to take it? So, based on the two clinical trials, the duration of the study was 18 months. If you look at the evidence from that, then we know at the end of 18 months, the amount of amyloid decline is significant. Whether we need to use it beyond 18 months, at the moment, it is not clearly known. So, based on the trials, actually, people should actually use it for at least 18 months? Based on the trial evidence, that would be the uh, reasoning, yes. I see. Okay, but we should add importantly that the drug is not approved in Singapore, right? So it's actually not available here. Yes. So like all new drugs, the Health Services Authority will need to approve based on the information that they get from the companies responsible. And then a decision will be made. So, you know, how likely do you think we will get this drug in Singapore? Considering the cost is also a challenge, right? I think we need to separate out the regulatory approval and the cost aspects. A drug is approved based on the scientific data available in terms of clinical benefits, in terms of what it is supposed to do, and that is the approach that US FDA took. HSA may also look at the scientific findings from the trials and then make the decision. The second part is once it is approved, then that is where the uh, public-private partnership comes in, uh, how to make this drug affordable, who is eligible for these drugs. Such further decisions will be have to be made down the road only after HSA approves the drug. So if you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the Health Chat Podcast for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to my conversation with my guest, Professor Nagendran, as we discuss the first ever disease-modifying drug for Alzheimer's disease. You know, earlier we were talking about the controversy, right? The benefits may be modest. So would you, as a clinician, prescribe the drug? I would think, like I said, um, these trials were done in people with what we call as mild cognitive impairment and mild dementia. So another important point to make is aducanumab will not work or it's not likely to work for all people with dementia because it has to be for people who have minimal loss of brain cells. If the brain cell loss is already significant, then there's not going to be any reversal. So in a person who has very mild symptoms, may be mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia, and if they go through a assessment for amyloid and they are found to have amyloid in the brain, then we know for sure that these people over time are going to have further accumulation of amyloid and hence brain cell death and hence worsening memory and eventually dementia. So with the use of aducanumab, there is a potential for these patients or some of these patients not to go on to develop dementia. So it really depends on a case-by-case -case basis like most new drugs and I think with a discussion with the patient, the, the many uh, potential uh, side effects, the cost, I think this is where on a case-by-case -case basis, a decision to start or not to start will have to be made by individual clinicians who are treating patients. I see. What are the possible side effects that people should watch out for if they're on the drug? This is an anti-amyloid drug. While it clears the bad amyloid 
from within the brain, there is also some amyloid that lines the blood vessels. So this drug can also remove the amyloid that lines this blood, tiny blood vessels and hence make these blood vessels more permeable. What was observed in these clinical trials is what we call as ARIA or amyloid rating imaging abnormalities. These appear as very small black dots on the MRI scan which are actually areas of what we call as micro bleeds. So while the name itself is scary, micro bleeds, uh, most of these scan findings did not translate to any clinical outcomes. So uh, being a new drug, we will still need to monitor patients if they develop such micro bleeds and this will necessitate MRI scans at regular intervals. So you are saying that it doesn't really affect the patient, but what if it does? Like what kind of uh, effect will that be? So what do you monitor that for? So the question here is, in a trial setting, the patients who go into trial are very uh, well selected. They meet certain criteria and hence the type of side effects that we saw was only micro bleeds. But in a real life setting, now that the FDA has approved it, if someone already has certain types of bleeds in the brain and if they are given erucanumab, uh, we do not know whether this can result in more bleeds in the brain. So, from that perspective, more data is definitely needed. Earlier, you mentioned the new drug is meant for people with MCI, uh, mild connective impairment, and for those who have mild Alzheimer's disease, right? But, you know, at that stage, the memory loss that they have can easily be mistaken as a part of normal aging. So, you know, how would you identify patients who are eligible for the new drug? Yes, indeed, that is one of the challenges. Not to over-diagnose, at the same time, not to miss a diagnosis. So, to delay public especially when one gets older, memory symptoms are indeed quite frequent. What I normally advise patients and people who come to me for advice with regards to their memory is the following. If your memory symptoms are persistent, meaning that almost present on almost most days and at least for a period of six months, that may be something that needs further attention. That's the first point. The second point is if it continues to progress, if you perceive that this forgetfulness is not going away but it is only getting worse, then that is another important point. And the third point is, if people around you, your colleagues, your family members are starting to notice that you indeed have problems with memory, that again becomes more sinister. So people with this set of symptoms then should seek further consultation with a doctor. I see. And then from there, you can do tests to show whether they have that yes. amyloid accumulation in the brain. Yes. What we normally do in the clinic is when a person with these symptoms come to the clinic, following a clinical interview, we then subject them to a detailed memory assessment to see for sure whether they have memory deficits. And then that will allow us to make a diagnosis of either MCI or mild dementia. If anti-amyloid drug is being considered, then they will also need to go for an amyloid test. And we can do amyloid testing two ways. Firstly, it's what we call as an amyloid PET scan. And another way is what we call as a spinal tap, where we draw some fluid from the uh, cerebrospinal space and we evaluate for the presence of amyloid. Mm, right. And usually, I mean, how old are these people when they should uh, watch out for this kind of memory loss? Right. So the... Age of onset is typically above the age of 65. This is when the uh, incidence of MCI and dementia is most. But we are beginning to see younger patients come to us with symptoms. Uh, we have patients who are in their mid-40s, late-40s who already have symptoms. And when we evaluate them, 
they do indeed have MCI or mild dementia. Right, so would you recommend that people actually watch out for these kind of um, memory loss symptoms from the age of 40? I would say that would be an important age. Uh, 40 onwards is when the risk is, is high, but of course it gets higher beyond the age of 65. Right, okay. And then to watch out for memory problems that last for at least six months. Yes. So Prof, what, can, what else can people do to actually prevent MCI you know, or memory loss problems? Yes, John. So I think that's an uh, important question. While aducanumab has shown some progress, uh, some benefit in terms of reducing amyloid, I think what is also important is making sure that steps are taken to reduce the risk of uh, modifiable risk factors. What are they? What are the steps that can be taken? Firstly, cognitive stimulation. Um, keeping your mind engaged in something challenging, something that is also at the same time interesting improves the connections in the brain that is shown to be useful secondly physical activity uh, doing aerobic exercises at least five times a week that increases the amount of blood flow to the brain and reduces the burden of cerebrovascular disease which again has been shown to be useful the third thing is for those patients who have vascular risk factors such as diabetes high blood pressure cholesterol I think all these are important that they are managed optimally and kept well controlled. And the fourth aspect would be nutrition. Um, certain foods such as deep sea fish, nuts such as almond is good for the brain. And at the same time, high salt intake has been shown to be bad for the brain. So a diet rich in fish, nuts and low in salt uh, would be something useful to keep uh, the brain health going. Right, and how about supplements then? A lot of the supplements have not gone through rigorous clinical trials that we were just talking about. So anecdotally, they may be useful, but we do not know for sure whether they indeed can help prevent dementia. Right, okay, interesting. And you mentioned aerobic exercise five days a week. That sounds like a lot. So is Five that times something? a week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so it could be just brisk walking, swimming, which is indeed already for, uh, quite useful for the brain. Ah, okay. So it's not actually, you know, like an aerobics class. doesn't have to be really uh, intensive uh, exercise. Right, okay. And how long should that be? So if we just say, like, go for a walk 10 minutes a day, will that help? Yeah, I would think at least 20 minutes of, of exercise would be good and that will improve the circulation of blood to the brain. See, well, that's great. Thank you for your time. Sure, my pleasure. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Street Times Health Check, like us and give us a rating. Thank you for listening. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.